podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Here, we love talking about everything Batman. The BatmanUniverse.net has news, original content, and reviews about Batman comics, movies, TV shows, video games, and more. Check out the BatmanUniverse.net and join our Discord server to start chatting with fellow fans. We can't wait to talk to you guys. Also, visit our Patreon page and join our other awesome supporters. But enough of this nonsense. On with the show. Hey, Bat fans! Welcome to the Batman Universe podcast. As always, I'm your host Scott, and today we have a special episode. Joining me is artist Ian Miller, and we're talking about a couple of cool projects that Bat fans like you need to know about. For fans of the Tim Burton duo of Bat films, Ian Miller and writers Eric Elliott and Paul Brian McCoy created a three-issue fan comic called Batman Enigma, and the goal was to pick up story threads and ideas for the unmade third Burton film and bring that to life including a rumored Robin Williams casting as the Riddler. Links for all three issues are below. And before we jump in, I just want to say welcome, Ian. Hey, Scott. Hey, everyone. It's great to have you. And I do want to make a note here. I don't want to get too far into spoilery territory. I do have a couple questions that poke at, you know, story ideas and things in Batman Enigma, but I want to try to avoid as many as possible because I think it's better that fans you know, after the episode and they want to check out Batman Enigma, they can experience it and take in all the surprises that you've created for them themselves without me ruining everything. Before we jump into that, I know you mentioned this in your note for Batman Enigma issue three, but for our audience, can you tell us how you found Batman and got into the character and what kind of spawned this whole thing? Okay. Um, well, I've been a fan of the character since I was a kid. I grew up with the Burton movies, mostly on VHS. I do have a recollection of seeing Returns in the theaters, but I was very young. I was like a one-year-old when they actually brought the kids to the movie theaters. Anyway, but I love the character. I love the 92 animated series. So that was pretty much my go-to as Batman. I didn't get into the comics until much later because uh, my godfather would bring comics every time he would visit so he could get me to read. So. That's how my love for the character in the comics started. But it was first and foremost the Tim Burton films and the animated series. How this came about was actually interesting. There's a couple of things, a couple of things that happened. I was watching the Shadows of the Bat uh, documentaries, which was on the, at that point, the special edition DVDs. And I was looking at the Batman Returns section. I was hearing Tim Burton briefly talk about his excitement of doing a third installment. And this is when the studio decided to change gears because of the response of Batman Returns. They're like, okay, we want a lighter tone. And apparently at the meeting uh, with the producers, he, Tim Burton just said, you don't want me to do another one. And they're like, no, 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 no. And of course, uh, obviously he did do another one and they brought Joel Schumacher in. And of course, the rest is history on that. But I was always bothered by, well, what was Tim's third Batman film going to look like? 
so I did a little research and I saw that some of his notes was actually used for Batman Forever. Riddler was the main villain. There was a, the love interest was going to be a psychologist. Robin was going to be there. So very briefly, and this was during my college years, I was like, let me just write a little synopsis just to see, okay, where we can go with this. So I just wrote it down. I didn't know, you know, at that point if I was really going to be serious about it. And then I had learned that DC had originally passed on the Batman 89 miniseries. They passed on it. I was like, okay, now I have to do it. I was hmm. being very cocky about it, if I'm being honest. Uh, I was like, now I have to do it. But then I, I worked out a little, then I put it on the shelf to, you know, collect dust. Then I hooked up with Eric Elliott, terrific guy, by the way. Uh, and we were doing Batman Meets Godzilla, another fan comic with other creators. And one day he actually uh, talks to me while we're in the middle of the production of the second issue. He's like, do you want to do more Batman fan comics with me? I said, sure. And I liked working with him. We got along great. He was a, he's a great friend. So he, he actually shows me the one of the Sam Ham drafts of Batman 2 as a possibility. So I read the script over the weekend, and Sam is a terrific writer. And he has some very good ideas for this story. I said to Eric, you know, it's a great script. It really is. But you know, here's what I was thinking. So I started telling him about Batman Enigma. He even liked the title because I was always bothered by Batman Forever, forever and apparently so is Tim Burton. Why is Batman Forever? So it made sense that it would be Batman Enigma because you got Riddler in there and who is Batman at this stage in his life? So that was one of the things we wanted to tackle. So I told him the story and Eric said, let's do it. So we began the process of writing issue one together and Eric really brought some very great notes into the story. Really great ideas. Definitely expanding the Robert Williams Riddler, you know, adding Nightwing in, you know, the mix instead of Robin, because he kind of wanted to forego all that, which I understood and I was excited about. But he really added flavor to the characters and brought out uh, much broader than I originally thought. That's interesting too, and and actually, you looped into one of the questions I had later. It was the Nightwing inspiration because I thought that was you know reading through all three of them. I thought it was really kind of fascinating, you know, the idea of jumping straight to Nightwing, giving Dick Grayson the origin that was in there, you know, and and how it kind of connects to, or how the name Nightwing connects to his father. And I don't, I'm trying to avoid saying certain things, but how that played out, I thought was really kind of fascinating, interesting. And I really liked that. And I was wondering, was all of that then from the draft or was part of that your input and in thinking about it and incorporating it together? Well, originally in my original draft, it was going to be definitely Robin. That was mm-hmm. it. Um, but then I started having second thoughts about it. It was like, well, how do I, how do I tell that story? You know, because originally I was going to do a canceled storyboard sequence that they had in the 89 film. I was still having second thoughts about it. I was like, well, how does this make sense story-wise? Then Eric came up with the brilliant idea of doing it with Nightwing. And I was like, I was all for it because I was like, this makes more sense to me. And, you know, I I also didn't want to draw Robin, you know, um, at that point because I was like, I just want to get past that because I thought Nightwing was a cooler uh, costume, if I'm being honest. 
Don't get me wrong, I love the Robin costume, but I was like, Nightwing's a bit cooler. Yeah, I I mean, as someone who's a big Nightwing fan, <laughs> I kind of <laughs> have to say I agree. But um, no, it's just it was it was really cool, and also I think it it kind of in a way deals with the the age issue, just because it's something we saw like in the Forever film where Batman takes Robin on, but he's he's an adult, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. so he could just jump right into Nightwing. He's not a kid. Yeah, but, it didn't it didn't make sense, and. The, my there was one thought in the back of my mind. I was like, "Well, what are the other fans going to think if we did this?" And we just took a chance. We took a risk, and it actually worked out because a lot of people loved it. Nightwing, our version of Nightwing. And I mean, to that point too, you take inspiration from the original casting you know, that they were going to go with for Robin. I think in the first draft of Returns that later got turned into you know down the road, and obviously when Schumacher came in, they went a totally yeah. different direction. Well, I always liked Marlon Wayans as, an, as a comedian, as an actor. I was like, he would have been perfect for this because, you know, he was definitely at that age at that time. And he would have brought an interesting new dynamic to to Robin or Nightwing, especially to Dick Grayson, because I was like, there's always something there in his performance that you don't really see, but there's always something there in the back. So I thought it was cool casting. Wish we had seen it, but again... You get to see it in a fan comic and in the 89 miniseries. So. Yeah, and that's actually, you know, to that point, something you were saying earlier, I didn't realize they passed on that miniseries at first. I was completely shocked. I just got out of college, and this was back in 2005, a year after I got out of college, and I read that they passed on, and I was completely shocked because at that point they had the Batman 66 uh, miniseries, which was doing very well, you know. Is getting new fans, you know, to the the TV, television series. I was like, well, why aren't you doing this? Because I think there's a lot of unfinished business in this part of the universe. Why not cover that? And there was a there was a petition going around, and I will say I did sign the petition. I did pass it around, and then it looked like nothing was going to happen. And I was like, okay, let's just let's just write something out. You know, I guess. You know, looking back, it's kind of weird now just because, you know, since you've created these three issues, you know, we've kind of gotten a, a flood <laughs> of burden era content. You know, it's actually something I put on my notes thinking about it. Um, you know, like obviously we got the Flash film, but you do have the miniseries. You have a sequel to the miniseries. You have, you know, McFarlane toys coming out. They actually, for Christmas, <laughs> my brother gifted me that giant. 89 batmobile with figure things you know like two feet long but you know it's like this huge renaissance and resurgence and you know i think it's kind of neat that you were on the cusp of that you know right in the beginning before you know the the gates really opened yeah we we did not plan that we did not plan that at all um when i heard it and this was actually an issue two of enigma that i heard that dc was going ahead with the 89 miniseries i was like whoa did they read our fan comic? Did they see the response? That was one of the thoughts that went in my head, but I was like, no, let's put that aside because I'm pretty sure they had this plan all along to do it. They just didn't know when. And of course, when Keaton came back for the Flash, I was completely flabbergasted because, A, I never thought that was going to happen. And B, I was like, did they read the fan comic? I, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> how has, you know, speaking of fan reaction, how has that been? We had overwhelming support, overwhelming support just from the first illustration, the first 
poster to even hints at, you know, the story. You know, we had huge support. When that first issue came out, it was like looking at box office returns. It was it was big because people kept typing in on the Instagram page, on the Facebook account, even on the Twitter account. People were just loving issue one. So obviously they you know got our excitement to do issue two. And they were just loving what we were doing because at that point the A9 miniseries wasn't the reality then. And just the fact that somebody, you know, that they took a couple of fans to do something like this, which is mind-blowing, because what we really wanted to do was tell a great story. That's the first thing. And also just to continue, you know the little threads that were left behind the first two films. And let's face it, there were some threads that needed to be addressed. So when people were responding to that, they were, you know, saying, are oh, you going to have Two-Face in this uh, yeah, in a series? Are you going to have Two-Face? You know, what, what's the characters? It was like we were making a Batman-Tim Burton movie, you know, without the movie. Right. It, because the minute you hear, you hear the words Batman-Tim Burton, it just creates a buzz. Well, it's like a it's a whole mood and style and you know kind of unto its own thing. Yeah. And I was getting emails from people all over the world. Never had I ever experienced like that. I Eric had never experienced anything like that. We thought what we did with Batman meets Godzilla, we were it was gonna be big because and it's it still is big because you know you got two titans coming together, but with Enigma it was it was just another step. Beyond that, I was completely flabbergasted. Yeah, and that's admittedly that's how I found you was uh, Batman Enigma, you know. And I've been <laughs> I can't remember how that must have gotten shared in some fan group for one of the Burton films or something. But that's you know I've been following you, and obviously other people have as well. You know, before we started recording, you know, we talked about uh, the new verse creative adaptation, which is yeah. in production. I think that's really neat. And, you know, if you don't mind me asking, how is that going? Do you hear about it much or? Well, they just started recording because they just finished recording another audio drama that I had just written for them. But I was very excited about the doing, I actually approached them first about doing the adaptation because I heard uh, New Verse Creative through some of their shorts and listened to Superman Flyby, which is actually the very first our um, audio drama that I heard from them. I was like, I was very impressed by the production value, the acting, the writing. And I said, I had to contact Tim Maxwell of Newverse Creative. So I asked him if he would be interested in doing Batman Nigba and Batman's Godzilla as audio adaptations. And he said, yeah, it was just a matter of time. So he then approached me, I think it was like somewhere between the production of the second issue of Enigma, if I wanted to write the Batman 89 adaptation for them. I said, yes, absolutely. So I adapted that, and I was like, okay, now I know what to do here. So then I started thinking, maybe I should do the adaptation of Enigma as well, just write the script. So I did that, and I made sure that Eric Elliott read the adaptation, because, again, I want to make sure that uh, I'm hitting all the right notes, because, again... He is the co-writer, and I want to make sure that it's good with him. And he said I had nailed it to a T. And we actually collaborated on uh, Batman Meets Godzilla uh, audio script. So when that goes in production, uh, obviously, we'll promote that as well. Awesome. 
And, you know, it's, it's, I think that'll be exciting too. And, and for. Hello to you. Can you tell me what lies beyond the gates of Gotham? Don't worry. You're going to find out very soon. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's, you know, really cool, you know, because for fans that, you know, haven't read it yet or, their first introduction is new verse creative. There's a lot of, you know, cameos and side characters in Batman Enigma that make appearances that I thought, I thought was really cool. You know, some of the characters that were especially um, in issue two, you know, I'm not going to say where that takes place, but there is, you know, quite a number. And I thought that was really exciting and neat as, you know, a bat fan. And I like the idea that this is, it kind of, not only are you guys running with story threads left over from the previous, you know, bat films that you're adapting off of, but you're kind of enriching the world and layering it out and adding, you know, some depth and characters to it that I, you know, I found kind of fascinating and, you know, it made, it got me thinking, you know, what would be, how would these things look and how would they work in this world? And would these characters exist? Would they not? Who knows? Well, that was the idea. Uh, I'm not going to say which characters they are because I want people to read the books and actually know which characters we're talking about. But yeah, we wanted to do if Tim Burton had done the film and had these characters, how would he have done it? So we started thinking about that. And Eric came up with uh, some of uh, the ideal characters for that issue. And it just worked. And then Paul Brian McCoy came in at issue two started writing for us uh, because we just developed the story for issues uh, two and three. And Brian and Paul just took it to another level because it's like, okay, this makes more sense now. It it brings it on a much bigger scale. So we when we started talking about those characters, we were like, okay, uh, how do we do this? How is this how is this gonna look? You know, is it just gonna be a cameo cameo or are we just gonna actually have it throughout most of the issue and one of those characters did actually end up throughout most of the issue. But we did change up that character a bit. Just to make sure it fit in our universe. That makes sense. And then, you know, to that end too, some of the um, background, you know, things you bring in, some of the designs just for, not characters, but um, speaking specifically to the back copter that shows up, you know, I kind of wanted to ask about your inspiration for the design of that, because when I looked at that, I was like, that would totally fit here at, or look like that. Yeah. Eric, I wanted to add some of the toy designs in there mm-hmm. and, you know, to make it have a functional look. And he wanted the back cop there in there. And I was like, this actually makes sense because this could have, you know, easily been, you know, functional, you know, during the movie productions. So you get ideas from the action figures. It's not. It's not unlike you know, with the A9 miniseries. They're also getting ideas from the toy line. So it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, have you read the 80, 89 series or miniseries? I actually have read it. I, I did love it. I loved it a lot. I Again, Sam is a great uh, writer. I was I was glad that he was back, you know, writing Batman. Joe is a fantastic artist. I actually met him on New York Comic Con. Uh, this past year, and I'm saw my book, and I did tell him about Enigma a bit. So he's like, "Oh yeah, I've heard of that." And we actually huh. had a picture together, 
where I just entitled it When Worlds Collide. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah no, so. I, I really enjoyed it, too. I reviewed it for the site. It was uh, better than I was anticipating, even. So I was hoping it was going to be good, but it really scratched that itch for me. Yeah, I know. Well, we got to issue three, and this is after the six issues of the 89 miniseries was released. I was like, okay, we not only have to top the ending that's been done in the 89 series, but we have to be completely different. So, again, we wanted to go bigger and better. That was the idea. It was what they did was fantastic, you know, and, you know, you, you can't really top that, but we had to try. We just had to try. And doing the whole sequence in uh, Music Park, I will say that. I'm not going to say what happens. But we did lead some Easter eggs in there, you know, just kind of leads to one character's particular identity at the end of the issue. You'll see there's a lot of Easter eggs in there that uh, are definitely worth exploring. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that actually, you know, made me wonder, is this something I know you have other projects coming up and we'll get to that in a minute. But is this something, you know, you guys have talked about revisiting or doing some somewhere down the road? Well, uh, Eric and Paul and I actually haven't had the discussion yet. If we did were to revisit it, it, this is me personally, I would have to a have Eric Elliott and Paul Brian McCoy co-write with me. If I don't have those guys, then I'm not doing it. The second thing is we have to have a good story and what character that we haven't seen, you know, in the Batman movie verse, especially in the Burton verse. And also the third thing is, do the fans want another one? Do they want a sequel? And if they want a sequel, please tell myself, tell Eric or tell Paul. If you guys want a sequel, tell us. You heard that here. If you guys read it, leave comments and messages. <laughs> um, and one last thing I wanted to touch on before we totally move away from Batman Enigma into other territory, the characterization of the Riddler. I wanted to know if you wanted to elaborate or speak to that, you know, what people can expect, you know, what were your thoughts when you were creating that character? The look at the character, you know, I definitely did base it on Robin, how he looked in the 1990s, especially 92. I did look at the film Toys. <laughs> I, I did look at that because he does look good in the bowler. I was like, that's the only one I can see on the bowler. The whole design of the costume, I wanted to be simplified. I didn't want it to be, you know, very much like the Jim Carrey version in Forever, where his head got question marks all over. So I figured one good question mark on the bowler and just him having the shades and a green suit, that just says Riddler right there. So that was one thing. The writing of it was definitely Eric all the way, because he wrote some very iconic lines, I thought. Lines that Robin would definitely say, you know, would have said if he had been in the movie. So he channeled Robin, especially at that point of his career, and it worked. It really worked. And I'm very pleased with how... People responded saying, oh, I wish we had Robin as Riddler. Well, we did too. And it really was a labor of love for Robin Williams' comedic abilities, his work. And we were just fans of him in particular. So I hope to God if he actually does read the comic, you know, from wherever he is, 
he's looking down and just smiling. I hope that's the, the case. Yeah. And I, and, you know, I can echo the sentiment that, you know, from my perspective, reading it, especially in issue three, you know, where he really kind of comes out and is very much at the, the forefront. Like I can really read a lot of that in Ron Williams's voice, like easy, you know, it's not a stretch at all. Yeah. So, but that was really cool. So, you know, for people listening, I have been following Batman Enigma in the background for a little bit now. And I reached out to you, Ian, not too long ago, because there was an announcement I thought that would make a lot of Bat fans very happy, you know, and it's something different, but um, it kind of scratches a similar itch for maybe a slightly different group of Bat fans, you know, and you guys are planning on picking up the Zack Snyder reigns and working on um, comic book adaptations for a couple projects, Ben Affleck's The Unmade The Batman, as well as Justice League 2 and 3. And I wanted to ask how that came about. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) It started when I had seen the Snyder cut of Justice League. I became a huge fan of that. And it had so many, you know, so many threads to pull on, you know, so so much unfinished business there. I was like, they're never going to revisit this. They're never gonna. They're never gonna do it. And I was proven right, obviously, with uh, the Flash. So I came up. I was like, the only way to actually get to the Justice League parts two and three has to be the Batman story. It has to be because that is the most threads that you could pull on. And after that's told, you could go anywhere you want. It wasn't long after that that I saw that Zack Snyder had released the storyboards for parts two and three. That were illustrated by uh, Jim Lee. So that was like, okay, we have that. So let's just put that aside. Let's just see what we can do with the Batman. The Batman story was very hard to develop because um, you hear snippets from interviews from different actors and the storyboard artists, what the film was supposed to be. And I was like, okay, let's just take some of those snippets and make it, you know, simp- let's simplify it. Let's just see if we can develop a story from those interviews. So, And we have. We, we definitely have. I wrote the story. I haven't written the scripts yet, which I'm going to start writing very soon because we actually release in the summer. I'm not gonna say oh, nice. Yet. Yeah. I guess I won yet, but I, we're going to start writing it. Yeah, so it's going to be a three-issue thing. And you're definitely going to see Deathstroke in there. That's going to be the main villain. You're going to see some uh, other characters in there, maybe from, I don't know, a canceled movie. I don't know. In there. That's that's between you. That's, that's between us. But what I wanted to do with this particular Batman story was add the detective elements that were kind of missing in the Justice League and Batman versus Superman Dog Justice. I wanted to add those elements back. But I also wanted to be true to the Ben Affleck Batman. Yeah, and that's going to lead to Justice League Parts 2 and 3. I can tell you right now, um, I was very nervous about doing Parts 2 and 3. I'll tell you why. Do you remember the company Lightfold? Mm. That was that motion comic? I don't think so, actually. 
Yeah. Anyway, I learned on Twitter that we're going to do a motion comic on the storyboards. Then I find out that they were actually tracing artwork from other artists, respected artists who have done the characters for years. And one thing led to another, the company folded up and the project was canceled. So I was very nervous whether to do parts two and three. Wow. So, they, so then when the whole thing, the whole, the whole deal, you know, fell apart, I was like, okay, I had to do this. We have to do this. And I've chosen another artist to share the artist with me, a very good friend of mine, Muhammad, who has done artwork for Batman meets Godzilla. And he was aching to do the Snyderverse Batman. So he's, so he's going to be doing that with me on the Batman and Justice League parts two and three. Okay, cool. And so I, I take it then you're a, a, like a Snyderverse fan. Right. Yeah, I, 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 actually, <laughs> am. I actually am. There are some installments I just don't want to, you know, deal with. But for the most part, you know, despite the controversy on some of the choices that he made, I was still enjoyed what he was doing. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the Snyder Cut. I enjoyed Man of Steel, despite the fact that the whole side snapping the neck thing. I was like, okay. I understand why he did it. Didn't need to do it, but I understand it. I also just understood Batman's motivation, you know, in Dark Justice. So I was like, okay, I get it. But it was still enjoyable, and I just wanted to make sure that the fans get much-needed closure from this part of the franchise so they can move on to the next. That makes sense. And I feel like that's something, you know... A lot of them are clamoring for, and you know, that's especially with all the stuff that came out about what it was supposed to be, who's supposed to be in it, what everything entails, you know. And that that actually brings me back to a question I had. You know, you're listening to interviews and you know, finding information about what you know it would be in these projects. You know, how long does that research project or process take? Well, let's see. The Snyder Cut actually was released what in 2020. Uh, 2021, somewhere around like that. Point. Yeah, it took a couple of years. I took a couple of years, and also I need to mentally prepare myself to actually start writing it because, again, just like with Enigma, this is just huge because you got a lot of fans, you know, writing on this. You don't want to let them down. You don't want you don't want to let yourselves down. I certainly don't. I know Muhammad doesn't. So we had to make sure that we would make. Me- mentally ready for it and we are so the the stakes and the tensions are kind of high on you know putting this together trying to juggle all those components and then you know make something that the fans that hits all the right notes for them and everything they're looking for without you know causing any kind of upset but i mean i feel like with enigma you manage that very well well, there were definitely a lot of elements that really worked very well. It was definitely Eric Elliott and Paul Bar McCoy. And having their own ideas and suggestions, you know, come in, you know, they those do factor in for Enigma. Uh with this one, you know, it's just me writing it. So that's a part that's a that's a thing. So understanding that and also understanding the magnitude of the fan base for this, it was worth it. It was worth going through it mentally, you know, trying to figure out, okay, what works, what doesn't work, you know, 
And also, just to make sure the pacing, you know, is solid and make people want to read Justice League parts two and three. Makes sense. You know, but it'll be something, you know, I know I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what you guys come up with and how you, you know, play with that world and, you know, what that looks like. Beyond Batman, though, you have Triple Threats Comics or Triple Threat Comics, sorry, excuse me. which has a few issues of yours and comics by other creators, either out or in production. You know, what can you tell us about that project? That started shortly after I graduated from college with uh, another college uh, graduate friend of mine, Eric Hernandez. We were always talking about collaborating on, you know, just different comics, you know, just forming something. And we just formed a small comic company, or small indie comic company. And my title is Codename Hunter. It's currently got three issues. I'm working on issue four now. And it's a, actually about a secret agent in the future. Sort of like a James Bond uh, meets Star Trek meets Guardians of the Galaxy meets Star Wars. Just roll roll all those things into one. And you got Codename Hunter. Huh. That sounds fun. And, you know, for our listeners, I do have a link below in the copy for this episode so you can find it and check it out. You know, and as uh, you know, were there certain things that inspired it more than others, certain, you know, maybe comics or storylines or characters that you're, you know, inspired by beyond Batman, of course, because. Yeah, I was just looking at the comics, you know, from my childhood, you know. A lot of space adventures from the 90s, you know. Uh, of course, Superman, that was another one. Um, even the Star Trek comics was pretty cool. But I was like, you don't really see that in the comics today. You don't really see that type of energy. I was like, and that's the other thing Eric and I had in comic, Eric Hernandez, I'm talking about. It was like, we don't see that type of energy with the, ni- the 90s artists. So we were like, why would we just do stuff like that? Homages. Of course, of course, we wanted to tell our own stories, but... It's much more than that because a lot of the times the stories obviously feels very close to us because we're creating comics that we would want to read. You know, we always have the fans' perspectives in our minds saying, okay, what does the readers like? What don't they like to read? You know, what type of characters would they like? So we always try to keep that in mind, but also tell our own stories. Yeah. And so... You know, it's it's funny thinking about '90s comics. It's been <laughs> that was when I first started getting the comics, and that was a whole mood and vibe that, you know, yeah. I met well. Even I'm just thinking, you know, and the gears are turning, and so I'm thinking of all the designs and kind of what those look like, and compared to a lot of the books I read now, the very you know, pedal to the metal art in some cases. That's just I, I do miss it too. Yeah, but. But I guess that's why I have a whole bunch of long boxes full of comics I can go back to. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And also the type of storytelling, you know, uh, because there was a lot of risk in the 90s stuff. There's risk, obviously, today, but it just turns the audience off. At least that's what I'm finding. So we try to find ways to make sure that we straight true to ourselves, straight to the stay true to the audience, but also find an actual ending to our characters. We don't want to prolong them, you know, like some of these other ones. And I'm not talking about the, uh, I'm not talking about Batman. 
All right, that that's that's off limits. No, it's it's fair. I just was, you know, figuring, you know, as a creator and as someone who's a comics fan too, we could always branch out because you know there's multiple inspirations everybody has. So yeah, and also I think people just are hungry for new stories. Yeah, I I mean I do think that I feel like you know every time I go in the comic shop, at least the indie section by me seems to be growing. And you know every time I live in the burbs, but I'm near Chicago, so when I go downtown, like those shops have some real you know. Yeah. real indie localized artists, which I think is really cool. And so I always, you know, I do like to pick up some here and there, but I appreciate that that's out there and those flavors are kind of expanding and getting beyond the, you know, the big two. Yeah, exactly. And that was the whole point because when we started, you know, indie comics weren't where they are now. The Kickstarter wasn't where they where it is now, you know, where you could create your own comic and also have funding for it. Um, because originally, you know, um, I was hoping to try to get into the big two, but, you know, it's tough because, you know, you have to know people inside the, those companies. And also, they don't give you a lot of creative freedom, if I'm being honest. So when I, before I actually did Enigma, I was actually going to pitch it to them, to DC Comics. You know, they used to have a talent search, but uh, they don't do that anymore. So I was like, okay, well, at least I tried. So this is my, actually my advice to anybody uh, who's doing comics, yeah, artist or writer. Make your own stuff. Because while it's great, you know, to, you know, pitch to the big companies, I still do occasionally, you know. It's better to create something that is yours. You have control of it. No, and the ownership's yours, and, you know, you can do what you want, and it's on your schedule. Exactly. Which is why I'm behind on my issue four. <laughs> I have my anchor friend Enrique Lopez waiting for me. I, I'm gonna get to it. Enrique, I'm gonna get to it. Oh god! As a you know, just a fan of comics, you know what's what's on your to read list or to read stack? What are some of your? Doesn't have to be even present. What are just some of your favorite stories? Uh, one of them is Dark Knight Returns. That's what. That's one of them. Um, Another one is actually Shield from Jim Steranko. I loved his run on uh, Nick Fury because it was out there. It was very 60s. And it was also very James Bond influence. So if if there's anything, Shield actually influenced me to do Conan Hunter. That's awesome. Yeah, because it's one of those out there kind of stories, you know, you like where Nick Fury is just hanging out with superheroes. One point, this Captain America, then this Iron Man. So I was like, "Well, what if we did in the near in in the future? You know, that's not in the two thousands. It's like in the three thousands. What would the technology look like? What would the government look like? What would the gadgets look like?" And yes, I actually have gadgets in this comic. <laughs> but we also I also want to have a sense of realism in there. You know, um, yes, we have uh, over the top villains, but we want to keep it grounded. And that was always the thing, keep it grounded. And that's something we uh, did with Enigma, and I'm certainly going to do with the Batman and Justice League parts two and three, keep it grounded. Yeah, and that makes sense. You know, i got to have that heart in there to keep everybody going and connected. Yeah. I have links to your works at the bottom of this episode, but where on the internet can our fans find you? Are there any other places I'm missing? 
Well, I'm pretty sure you can find me on Instagram. It's all one word, Trevor Threat Comics. That's one thing. You can also find me on Twitter, which is, again, Triple Threat Comics, or Comics Threat. Triple Threat Comics or Comics Threat. Yeah. And we'll also get links to those below as well. I will note that uh, for Justice League, there are some story elements in there that are going to change. But I'm going to stick to what, pretty much stick to what Zach had wanted. But some things are going to change, but I think it'll be for the better. No, you got to fit the story. Makes sense. Besides, I don't think any of us can judge until we see the final work. <laughs> That's why I'm scared. That's why I'm scared. <laughs> no campaigns. It has to be complete and the final work has to be out. Then we can judge. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Ian, for chatting with me today. Well, thank you, Scott, for having me. Um, for those who want to check out Batman Enigma, as I mentioned before, the links are below. Um, for comic reviews and more, you can visit thebatmanuniverse.net. Want to chat with us? Want to comment on this episode? You can hop on our Discord, which is also linked below, or you can write us at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net, and we'll respond to your comments on air. If you like these episodes, please subscribe, rate, and share. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.